1: My name is Dimitri Filipovich and joining me is my good buddy and my elite prospects ringside colleague, Jack Fraser. Jack, what's going on, man?
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. We're recording this on a Saturday morning. Uh, round two is going to be starting tonight. So that's exciting. And we're going to use this as an opportunity to combine a, a round one sort of recap to help preview round two. And hopefully people will listen to it in a timely fashion. I know that putting out content over the weekend isn't typically ideal and if anyone's waiting and saving it for monday morning three of the series will all already have started but uh that's just uh we're just gonna have to make do and hopefully we won't wind up sounding horribly wrong after all the game ones but so i'm i am excited we're gonna we're gonna get right into this here let's start with tampa bay versus carolina and, and i really want to start with the good stuff and and what should be a banger of a series i'm not sure if this is series I'm more excited about than Vegas, Colorado, but I think it has the opportunity to be uh, a remarkable theater and just watching the the pace that these two teams are going to play at. So what's the number one uh, storyline for you in this one, whether it's something we saw in round one from these two teams in their respective series or sort of how they match up or or, or whatever fascinates you the most about these two?
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to see the top two lines. I think go head to head because I I, I just finished writing my breakdown of this series for EP Ringside and kind of digging into more of the, the microstats uh, aspects of, of how these teams match up, it really kind of struck me how similar they are in a lot of ways in, in terms of how they play the game, uh, especially at five on five offensively. Like these are two very kind of in zone offense focused teams, uh, especially when you get to those kind of bottom nine players in the forward group. Like you're talking a lot of point shots, a lot of forechecking, checking, uh, a lot of dump and chase, especially for the Hurricanes. Uh, but then everything kind of breaks down when you get to those top lines whether it's the uh the, the kucherov and point uh Palat line for tampa bay or or obviously carolinas as well where you suddenly you start to see a lot more rush chances a lot more dynamic looking offense uh and and you know, I think especially if you're talking about a matchup where Tampa's playing against Carolina, who are such a, a cycle-heavy team, those counterattacks can be really deadly. And, and I, I'm excited and, and interested to see whether that offensive structure of the Hurricanes might break down in some places if they're pushed by, you know, Kucherov and Point coming the other way.
1: And I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think we're going to see a lot of Kucherov, uh point and, and Palat versus his Ajo, and Carolina, or whatever uh, they wind up doing with Ajo's line because in the regular season... Obviously, Kucherov wasn't around, but um, you know both teams seemed very comfortable going with point against Aho, and and in the round one matchup, we saw Tampa Bay not necessarily shy away from using point against Barkov's line, and they did fine. But I, I think what's going to be fascinating for me is uh, we're going to talk about the power play here and sort of what Kucherov did there. And I know people are are inclined to complain about how convenient it is that Tampa Bay activated Kucherov ahead of game one and how he was healthy all along and how it was this grand conspiracy. And I don't want to talk about the the, the cap shenanigans side of it. I, I just want to talk about from what we saw on the ice, because I thought at five on five, whether it was Kucherov adjusting to the speed of the game being thrown right into the playoffs after essentially not playing all season, um, or whether it's him not still being 100% from that injury and, and surgery he had because the mobility wasn't typically what you see from him. He wasn't carrying the puck uh, into the zone with the type of success we've not typically seen from him. He wasn't attacking defenders uh, in, in full stride the way we've seen before. There was a number of occasions where a guy like Radko Gudas or Anton Strauman sort of chased him down and prevented uh, an odd man rush or an opportunity for him to be in alone versus the goalie. And and that's something we wouldn't normally see when Kucherov's firing on all cylinders and and he's a 515 in full strength. And so he was great on the power play. It makes sense that It would be an easier transition for him there where he's doing a lot of his attacking from a set position on that right flank where he's got more time and space as opposed to five on five where it's more free flowing. So I'm not sure if it's the type of situation where he's going to uh, get more comfortable and maybe even get healthier as the series goes along or whether this is just the way it's going to be for him for the rest of this postseason. But I had a hard time believing watching that, that he was fully healthy hundred percent. And he had been waiting for weeks and months to, to get back into the lineup because he certainly didn't look that way at five on five.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he's not the only star on that Tampa team who has that issue. Uh, obviously, Victor Hedman, you know, we've we've had the the Norris conversations and everything like that. But I mean, the, the inescapable fact of the matter is that whatever he says, clearly he's not at 100 percent and he hasn't been for at least half of the regular season. Uh, like you said in, in your article this morning, you know, we're going to hear about whatever kind of surgery he ends up getting inevitably when they get knocked out or, or win the cup. Uh, but I think it's a similar situation with him where, you know, that lack of mobility really kind of hurt them down the stretch, making a lot of uncharacteristic defensive errors, uh, I think on his part, uh, and, and, you know, all that kind of drifts away on the power play when mobility isn't really the most important thing. And it's more about making those in-zone offensive decisions, which, uh, you know, Headman hasn't been inhibited in that by whatever injury he's currently battling through. So I, I think that's, that's an interesting point and, and one that I think would, would benefit the Hurricanes, you know, especially because they are so good at limiting those kind of in-zone offensive chances. Uh, you know, I was looking at the numbers, uh, n- you know, no team in the league allowed fewer cycle chances than, than the Hurricanes did this season. Uh, and, you know, if, if they are able to limit that counter-attack, whether it's like you said, with not having Kucherov quite as able to join the rush and, and the same thing with Hedman, if he's not able to take those chances that he usually does uh, then the Hurricanes could, put themselves in a pretty good situation in terms of just kind of possessing the lightning to death.
1: Yeah. The, the the headman one's fascinating to me because clearly, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. You can pretty much neatly point to, to when he got hurt at the end of March against Columbus and how his numbers fell off. And uh, Chris Johnson had reported that he's going to be having an off season surgery. So I don't think it's necessarily uh, any kind of secret, but at the same time, You know, you could argue that in that round one series against Florida, just because of how frequently they were attacking off the rush and how as a team, they were so aggressive in terms of trying to get out to these fast break opportunities where their defenseman like Mackenzie Weger would sprint up the ice. Maybe you could argue that part of it was by design where they wanted Hedman to stay a bit back to sort of prevent that from happening. Now, he eventually got burned by, it, I think, by Ryan Lomberg in one of those overtime games where Florida won. Um, But it, it, it's, it's a shame because when Hedman is at hundred percent and he's at his best, he's one of the best in the game at being that sort of trailer who jumps in on the rush and gives Tampa Bay another outlet there to, to attack. And he's so good offensively in that regard. And, and against Florida, I can't ever remember seeing him sort of sit back and kind of just be like, Oh, you, you guys got this, take it, t- take it from here. And I'll just sit back here and wait and see what happens and sort of pick his spots. So, um, yeah, if it is the injury, it's likely not going to get better as this series goes along. And certainly uh, sort of the pace that Carolina plays at could become an issue for him. Um, so, So that's definitely something to watch for.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and like you said, I mean, Florida or Carolina attacks in such a different way than Florida does, uh, you know, fundamentally, like if if you look at the breakdowns, especially of how they play in transition, you know, I mean, the, the Panthers as, uh, as your most recent guest, uh, Jack Hahn broke down in his kind of system analysis of them going into the playoffs, they really are kind of one of those, you know, you would say progressive or, or new age teams that really, like you said, kind of activates defensemen like, like Mackenzie Weger to carry the puck into the offensive zone. Uh, they attack off the rush. They they generate a crazy number of chances that way. And, and I think we saw that in how high flying and kind of dynamic and exciting that first round series was. Uh, the Hurricanes, on the other hand, are, you know, maybe the most, you know, dump out and dump-in heavy team in the NHL. You know, they they really, you know, when they're exiting their own zone, oftentimes they do it in that kind of weird way where the forwards will stick their stick out at center ice. And then Dougie Hamilton will basically take what amounts to a point shot from his own zone and just deflect it in off them. Uh, and then entry in the zone, you know, it's, it's almost always dump and chase and that, you know, that's something that maybe could advantage uh, the lightning a little bit relative to not maybe having Hedman facing those kind of zooming wingers like for Hagee or, or Duclair, but, you know, at the other hand, it, or on the other hand, if, if you're in a position like Hedman is where you are hurt like that, you know, maybe going into the corners on those puck retrievals might be a little bit extra painful. So it I, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how he reacts and, and whether, you know, maybe they play a, a more suited style or, or whether we might even see this injury be kind of aggravated even more.
1: This is going to be a really weird thing to say about a team like the Hurricanes where I think they were second in the league in terms of power play efficiency. I think the Oilers were the only team that scored more frequently on a permanent basis than them with the man advantage. And they were the third best team in terms of suppressing offense on the penalty kill. And, and they were one of those modern sort of power kills where they're using guys like Aho and HS2 to attack the other team's power play and create themselves and actually score goals and and use it as a weapon of theirs rather than just sitting back and trying to block shots. Um, But I think just out of respect to this Tampa team and sort of what we saw in round one against Florida with the fact that they do now have uh, all five top players out there in the top unit with Kucherov and Stamkos back, this isn't the type of scenario where I would be Uh, playing with fire. If I were Carolina, I would would make a a very concerted effort to stay out of the box. And and the reason why I bring that up is because that's something that they have struggled with this season. I think they spent the fourth most time killing penalties in the regular season in round one against Nashville. They gave them 26 power play opportunities in just six games. Rod Brindamore for the second consecutive postseason came out and publicly uh, scrutinized the officiating and the way the Hurricanes have been uh, refed against. And I don't want to get into a whole thing here about but, but playoff officiating because it certainly has its issues, but it does make sense logically that a team like Carolina that plays at the pace they do in terms of just being kind of this aggressive swarming team that's always uh, trying to push push the envelope, it makes sense that they would eventually cross the line and uh, come come up, come away with infractions. And so if that's going to be the case in this series, I do worry for them because this Tampa power play... Uh, Look ridiculous in the first round. They scored eight goals in like 24 minutes on the man advantage. And basically every single time Sam Bennett or Brandon Montour uh, made a mistake and took a dumb penalty, they made them pay instantly. And I I, I don't see that changing because it's just an entirely different animal when Kucherov's out there for them on the power play.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, do I think that they're going to score a goal every three minutes of power right. play time they get? Not. Yeah. Probably not. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to be putting them in that position. And I mean, like, these are two teams that, that are, they're both really good at both ends on the, on special teams. Like mm-hmm. the the Hurricanes, like you said, they had the second ranked power play in the league. Uh, you know, the Lightning were ninth, but, but of course there's a Kucherov-sized asterisk on that. Uh, and then on the penalty kill, you know, Carolina was third and, and Tampa Bay was fourth. So, you know, these are two teams that are, are potentially going to be battling to a standstill. One thing that did strike me as interesting when I was looking at Carolina's numbers was that they were actually second in uh, expected goals against when they're on the power play. Uh, they actually give up quite a bit uh, in terms of chances the other way. And, and just looking at that Tampa penalty kill lineup, you know, looking at you know Coleman and and Gord and, and all these guys that they can potentially put out there, you know, I, I, w- I wonder whether we might see a, a couple instances where where Tampa burns them on uh, on the counter attack on the penalty kill
1: yeah Absolutely. We saw that against Florida. I, I just, I love watching that power play because it's, it's it's such a modern approach. Obviously, the personnel helps when you have two dual threats like Kucherov and Stamkos at either, at either flank and they can just beat you uh, any way they want to. But, you know, with Alex and like they're not wasting time devoting this traditional net front guy. He's like behind the net as, as sort of an outlet for them. If there's pressure, he can help extend possessions there. And then he's jumping in and out of the slot. You obviously have Braden Point hanging out there. And and we the, the fascinating thing to me about that eight goals that they scored in round one. And, and you're right, they're you know, we're not gonna expect them to keep scoring at that rate. But the reason why I think it is sort of sustainable in the sense that they're gonna score a lot of goals is because we basically saw them carve them up. They were like, okay, Florida you can try to defend one thing. And as soon as you do that, we're going to beat you in a different way. We're going to have Kucherov passing it into point here for, for a, an easy one-timer right from in front of the slot. We're going to have a tap in for Alex Kalorin for an empty netter. We're going to pass it over in the cross scene past the stamp is one of the greatest uh, shooters of his generation for a one-timer from the left circle. Like it's just, it's impossible to defend. Now, if there's one team that can do that, it is Carolina with the the sort of aggressive penalty kill they have, but, I don't know. I just, I just thought that was an interesting thing to point out in terms of what to watch for, because stylistically um, it is so unique. What do you, how do we feel about the goaltending in this series? Because I think people would essentially, you know, would initially jump to the conclusion that, you know, Vasilevsky's going to give Tampa Bay an advantage against anyone they play. But I was really impressed with Nadal not only this regular season, but particularly in that round one matchup where he got sort of overshined by Soros in terms of the way people were talking about it online, but he was every bit as good, if not better.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I mean, if there's one, if there's one way that we could make ourselves look stupid in this podcast, it's by talking too much about goaltending. Just because, <laughs> I in my original playoff previews i i discarded my own rule of never saying anything confident about goaltending and i think i got burned for it a little bit uh but i, I mean th- that really is is the thing where, where you look at the carolina hurricanes defensively this year and you know the underlying numbers are okay but they're not that great you know i think 17 and 17th and expected goals against you know 10th and unblocked shot attempts against you know Fine, I, I, I guess. But you know, goals against is really you know it's kind of a Minnesota situation where you're you're racking your brain trying to figure out you know oh like what fundamentally changed about this team that that turned them into a you know real contender and the answer is pretty much they they got some of the best goaltending in the NHL and they got it from an unconventional source you know from a guy who was put on waivers at the beginning of the season and now finds himself as the starter in round two uh, and and that does always make you a little bit nervous. Uh, and, and I think for good reason, and, and I, I think there's only, a, there's every reason to, to say that the lightning have the advantage in this area, but you know, this, this isn't the situation that Carolina has been in, in the past where they're just kind of plugging a hole in the net. Like they have a guy who has performed very well for them this season. So it, it wouldn't completely shock me if he just continues that run. And, and we're looking at cam ward 2.0, but at, at the same time, there's every chance as well that the bottom might fall out on this thing. And, uh, and Tampa might be preying on him on those counterattacks.
1: Oh well, yeah. Particularly with the, with the talent level or the, uh, you know, quality of competition increase that going from, from Nashville to to Tampa Bay here, but you know, nine thirty two save percentage in regular season, nine twenty two 22 uh, in this postseason so far. And I thought in particular, you know, in games three and four, shots were ridiculous in, in carolina's favor where sorrows made 50 plus saves in each of them and and myself included it was very impressive in terms of just the volume of work that he was facing and sort of the types of saves he was making but then you look and nashville in nashville and those two games actually had more high danger attempts in both of those games yeah. compared to carolina and you know part of that was slave not being out there and they were relying a lot on undefensemen who who probably they shouldn't have but um they weren't necessarily super stingy or completely dominating. They were in terms of all in the quantity, but not the quality. And nilkovic and was really good. And um, so I just wanted to give him a, bit, a little bit of love here because I, I think once again, just with the star power of Vasilevsky, he's going to be overshadowed, but he will give them a chance here. Now, at the same time, we were worried a bit about Vasilevsky's sort of final month of the season or so, and, and whether he had been fatigued because they'd overworked him at the start of the year. And he put all of those concerns to rest with, I thought, a, a, fa- a fantastic performance against the Panthers. Florida yeah. had 227 shots, 79 high danger attempts in those six games. And he finished with a 928 save percentage plus four goals saved, then emphatic shutout in the clincher. And, and he was every bit as good as the guy who's going to win the Vesna this year or finish second or, or whatever he does. But he, uh, yeah, if he's going to be playing at that level, it opens up so much for Tampa Bay because they can comfortably sort of just not worry about what, you know, limiting the chances or what's going to happen defensively because they know that he's going to stop it. And then as soon as they get the puck, they can go on those counterattacks that you were talking about.
0: Yeah. And I think we're going to see some very high save percentages in this series. Just kind of looking at the way these two teams play, uh, you know, the, the top two teams in the league in terms of the percentage of their five on five shots that were taken by defensemen. Number one was Tampa Bay and number two was Carolina. Like there's going to be a lot of you know, dump and chase forecheck, check and then get that puck low to high and then throw it on the net. And uh, I, I think in large part, that's that's one of the big reasons that we saw UC Saros kind of put up those 50 save games was because that was the game plan for Carolina and, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, when that Uh, point Kucherov line is off the ice that's basically the way they play as well so uh, I I know that you know for me personally when I'm watching a team that I'm cheering for all those point shots are are the heart attack shots because you can just envision every single one of them you know taking a wild deflection ending up in the net Uh, I feel like Tampa Bay and and Carolina fans are going to be in for a you know a full seven game series of, of those heart attacks because that that is really the way these teams like to get pucks on the goal awesome playoff hockey you gotta love it
1: um is there anything else in this series that that uh, we should highlight or, or talk about? I feel like we've kind of covered most of the the big talking points.
0: Yeah, who do you? Are, I don't know if if you're in the in the market of making kind of predictions or or, or telling me kind of where you're where you're leaning towards. But I, who? What's what's kind of the sense that you get looking at these two teams matching up?
1: Well, I, I think you know, Carolina's a game in terms of, especially if they can keep this at five on five, I think they can definitely hang. I haven't seen anything from the regular season or the postseason that would suggest. Otherwise you kind of have to throw all the numbers out the window though. Now that the Kucherov is back for Tampa Bay, just because they're such an entirely different uh, attacking team. And I'm at the point with them where um, I think they're imperfect. I think, especially with the health concerns that we've laid out, um, they're not necessarily as dominant as they could be otherwise, but I, I'd be very reluctant and worried to bet against that talent just because you could easily see Carolina outshoot them and even outplay them for large stretches, similar to what Florida did. And at the end of the day, they're going to score power play goals. Vasilevsky's going to be the better goalie, and Tampa Bay's going to win just because they have the best players at the most high leverage positions.
0: Yeah. See, like I I, I have to admit that I'm, I'm leaning pretty decisively towards Tampa. looking at everything and i think that the, the x factor for me is it's just the way that you know if, if there was ever a a team where their five on five offense could validly be criticized on the basis of expected by whom exactly it would be the <laughs> carolina hurricanes and uh, you know i think that there's a lot of smoke around this team in terms of the public models overrating their scoring chances uh you know just the way that they kind of do the point shot and rebound thing you know this has been going on for for five years now you know by the by the public numbers that i have in front of me, you know, they were uh, fourth in expected goals, 19th in goals four, and last in the league in goals above expected. You know, that that I think tells me a little bit about what the quality of their chance. Recognize employees with Custom Ink. Show customer appreciation with Custom Ink. Outfit your teams with Custom Ink. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at customink.com. Make
1: Custom Ink your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it, and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com.
0: This is actually looking like, and it, if that is indeed the case, then I feel like Tampa could have a pretty decisive edge on them in, in five-on-five offense. But, you know, like we said, for all we know, Alex Nedeljkovic is going to go camboard mode, and we're going to be looking pretty silly saying that uh, a week from now.
1: Yeah, no, it is true. At the same time, I I, I'd be worried about going fully in that direction just because Carolina is a good team. Like they have very few, uh, weak links and they can play at at sort of a tempo in terms of just speed bagging teams at times. And if Tampa Bay isn't getting the saves for whatever reason, like it could easily go the other way. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I'm excited to watch it. I, I would lean towards Tampa Bay, but I think, uh, I think it'll be a tight one. Um, speaking of teams who, uh, the expected goals expected according to whom? Let's talk about
0: the Vegas Golden Knights here. I was, uh, I was trying to figure out whether you're going Vegas or Montreal. So I'm, I'm glad that you <laughs> were <worked> Vegas.
1: <laughs> um, let's quickly do uh the Colorado Vegas round two matchup because you know they're right there in terms of entertainment value with the one we just talked about. Now, as you alluded to, I did a full deep dive on the AV system with, with Jack Hahn in the most recent episode of the PDO cast, and people should just go check that out because we essentially talked about them for like 45 minutes. And so I don't want to regurgitate a lot of that stuff. Instead, I'd rather kind of focus on the Vegas angle here, especially since we just recently saw them squeak by the Minnesota wild in, in game seven last night. And I've got some stats for you. And I know that you've been monitoring this as well. So over the last four playoff series for the Knights, round one last year against Corey Crawford, he scored 15 goals on 17.5 expected goals. Corey Crawford at a nine twenty save percentage. in round two against the Canucks. They scored 19 times on 27 expected goals. And particularly with Thatcher Demko, when he took over for the final three games, they scored just two times total on 125 shots. Round three against Anton Hudobin, they scored eight goals, had 15 expected goals. Anton Hudobin had a 9.50 save percentage. And in this series against Cam Talbot, it was a bit better. They scored 20 goals, only 21.4 expected goals. So fairly close. Now that's after a five-goal outburst in game seven. And can't tell but still had a 923 save percentage for the series with two shutouts. Uh we can even loop the 2018-19 series against the Sharks in round one where they had a performance against Martin Jones where they he stopped 58 of 59 shots against them. Like they this is we're reaching the territory, I think, with them and I don't necessarily know how to evaluate it where it's one thing to be unlucky and just run into a hot goalie or you know just have an unfortunate series or even an unfortunate playoff run. But This is a number of goalies now where they have had these performances that they pile up the shots and for whatever reason, even though they do have talent, I think they're not converting on them and I'm not really sure what to make of it. How do we, how do we evaluate and how do we sort of frame what's going on with Vegas in these playoff series in terms of the volume they're generating and what they actually have to show for it?
0: Yeah, it's a really tough one. I, I had somebody tell me that I should uh, that I should Vegas adjust uh, Cam Talbot's numbers uh, at the end of the series just to make them fairly assessed. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, like you said, like if, if Vegas and Carolina meet in the Stanley Cup Finals, it might set an NHL record for most shots taken in a series because, like, they they really have that kind of very similar approach in terms of you know just generating so much volume uh, and you know, especially, I think they defer to it uh, in particular in the playoffs where, uh, you know, they, I guess, determined that they, they want to play a very kind of playoff style of hockey and, and it, in their minds, that means kind of relying more heavily on the in-zone offensive stuff. And, you know, you get a lot of shots from from low danger areas that turn into kind of scrambles and rebounds and stuff from, from high danger areas. And, and for whatever reason, you know, I, whether you want to kind of go the, the, the goaltending, psychology aspect where they're letting goalies kind of stop a lot of pucks and get into rhythms and things like that you know i i'm not so i i couldn't really speak to to that as much but it's really hard to argue with the results when you know they're piled up over over such a long span and i I mean we did see less of the expected by whom stuff uh going on for them in the regular season Uh, And and like you said, kind of in this series, it wasn't necessarily as as pronounced in terms of the the above expected numbers. But, you know, I I think there is definitely a pattern emerging here. And when you have a team like Colorado that not only, you know, does similar things in terms of quantity, but also matches it in terms of just the sheer amount of quality scoring chances that they're able to generate, uh, you know, without flinching. uh, It's a tough matchup. I mean, I... I feel like kind of betting against the avalanche in a series is kind of like betting against like the 2008 red wings. Like that's like the level of dominant that we're talking about here. And Vegas is as good a match as as you could really hope to put against them. Uh, You know, not only in this division, but I think a lot of people are thinking of this as being basically, you know, the Western conference final or the Stanley cup final in in, in any other year. And uh, I'm excited to see it, but I again, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Philip Grubauer put up like a 940 and uh, and for Colorado just to dispatch these guys a little more quickly than, you know, we might have expected previously.
1: It's so weird because for the most part, if you look at especially the top players for Vegas, it's not like they're a team filled with these guys that are you know routinely like the this is a, a we niche throwback but like the michael leak when he was on on uh on calgary where it's like he's playing with with backland and he's just posting these seven and eight percent shooting percentage seasons year in and year out despite the opportunities he's getting like they have above average finishers and shooters and the figure the talent would be there where this wouldn't be an issue but I do wonder how much of it is coaching in terms of sort of the playing style and and maybe changing their approach because they feel like they need to be more conservative and not opening it up. And that's going to be an issue in this series, because as you alluded to, if there's one team you don't want to do that against, it's this Colorado team that essentially doesn't really give anything up, doesn't spend time in the defensive zone. It has a really good goalie in Philip Grubauer who just doesn't give up goals against. And, And so it could lead to some comical numbers. Now at the same time, this Vegas team does match up i think as well as you can hope against this colorado team because yeah. they can match them in speed they can match them in a physicality and size and you know whether it, it, they're spamming shots or not they're a good possession team and they're not going to get bowled over i don't think and that's one of my questions for this is we've seen colorado essentially all the way through the regular season and through round 1 against st louis just post these comical 60 plus percent shot rates and chance rates and everything across the board at five on five and what's that going to look like in a seven game series against vegas where it seems hard to imagine that it would be as divided as it's been so far for colorado
0: yeah no absolutely and you know i i remember after that series against uh well against the canucks and then also dallas last year you know that was something that i i looked into, you know, I wrote a bit about it and, you know, I basically came up with like five different possible explanations and and it was really impossible to rule any of them out just because they were all plausible. And, you know, one kind of fringe one that I remember hearing from a a former player that I, that I asked about it was he was uh, very critical of the, the stick curves of the top vegas players he said that they were that they were not suited to to elevating pucks uh, in tight uh, off rebounds so uh speaking of somebody who always just went with the stick curve that came on the stick that i bought on sale from sport check i'd have to defer to him on that one but uh yeah you know it, like you'd think there has to be some kind of explanation for, for what's going on here. And and I think that that's as good, a good of one as any, but you know, it really is hard to imagine Vegas getting outshot and outchanced by, by massive margins just because we really haven't seen it that much. You know, I mean, even in that series against Minnesota, they only really had one game where they got fully outplayed to that extent. and, And that was game two. Uh, you know, I, I mean, if any, I, the the inverse is true, you know, if, if any team was going to do it against Vegas, it would be the Avalanche. But I, I think, like you said, there's there's some areas of that matchup, especially in terms of physicality. And you know, man, wouldn't it wouldn't the hockey men love it if uh, if Alex Tuck and and you know and them really just forecheck the hell out of uh, Colorado's tiny defensemen uh, and and ground them into dust that way? But it, it, it'll be, I mean, it's the series that I'm most excited for, for sure. And and the one that I think has the most potential to have some real kind of offensive fireworks to it. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. And the one X factor here is that, you know, through the regular season, I'm not sure um, for how many of these minutes, Colorado actually had the full uh, repertoire because there was time where a bunch of the players were, were out of action in these games, but stone and McKinnon went head to head for 43 minutes of five won five this season. And Stone pretty much played McKinnon's line to a draw. The goals were 2-2. They slightly outshot them, slightly outchanced them. And, you know, Colorado has the talent, especially with that line, where they don't need to have 60% of the shots to still come out ahead because the talent is so high. But it's one of the few lines in the league, I think, that could reliably go head-to-head against McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog and not get completely embarrassed and just pinned in their own zone for extended periods of time. And so that's quite a luxury for, for Pete DeBoer in Vegas to have, um, to, to, sort of, you know, they might limit their own offense if, if they go fully hard matching that, but it might be one of the only sort of paths to limiting what, uh, that Colorado top line can do offensively.
0: For sure. Well, I thank God Colorado's second line center didn't get himself suspended for, uh, most of if not the entire series. Cause you know, that, that would kind of be a shame if that had happened. Exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: is there anything else from from Colorado Vegas that you wanted to talk about? I I, I, I kind of already have done all of my uh, my AV stuff, so I think I'm, I'm good in that regard. But I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, no, I think you covered it pretty well with uh, with Jack there.
1: Cool. Um, all right, let's do Islanders Bruins, a, a series that you just recently uh, put up a full preview for on EP ringside that I recommend people go check out. Um, what are we looking for in this series? Because you were talking about the offensive fireworks. I think we're all expecting that, you know, you could argue these are the two best uh, defensive teams and sort of the traditional sense of just, um, you know, shutting things down and not letting the other team generate a ton of good looks. So You'd think that with the goaltending and the defensive structures, it would lend itself to your classic kind of grinded out two-one, maybe three-two, and like a triple overtime type of setting. But um, should we be expecting that? Like, 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 how are we? What are we sort of sizing up in this series in terms of the uh, the matchups or the storylines to look for?
0: Yeah. So uh, like you said, kind of on its surface, this really does profile as like the classic, like every single game in the series is going to be two to one or, th- or three to two or, or, or what have you. Uh, the X factor for me is the Bruins offense, because that has been the thing that has really lifted them to the next level since that trade deadline. You know, going into the deadline, they were, you know, one of, if not, you know, the, the worst offensive team in the league that was anywhere near a playoff spot. Uh, And then if you look at their numbers since the deadline, they've been one of the best offensive teams in the league. And I think you can draw a pretty straight line with the guys they acquired. Uh, But also, you know, Marsha and uh, Pasternak and Bergeron have just reached a totally, you know, new level in terms of, you know, not only their scoring chances, but they're also scoring at five on five and on the power play. Uh, And, you know, that's, that's the real thing for me of whether we're going to see kind of a grind them out series or whether the, Bruins offense can break through you know we know what to expect from that top line but you know if if Krejci and Taylor Hall and and Craig Smith can really get things going from you know there against the Islanders that would be a, a pretty massive breakthrough and, and I think could be fairly decisive in you know dismantling what the Islanders have been able to do defensively
1: yeah. Well, especially since I imagine similar to what we saw in round one, where Pelic and Pulak were, they were trying as hard as they could to get them out against Crosby's line. And, you know, <clears throat> they got hammered in shots, but the kept the goals pretty even. And I think they'll take that anytime they can. Um, I imagine we're going to see a lot of Hall, Smith and Krejci against that Mayfield and Letty pair. And I think we saw from them that, you know, they can be exposed in terms of the forecheck and hey, we, we saw the Penguins, uh, cause a bunch of turnovers and give them trouble exiting their own zone when they were out there. And so if that line can really get the puck in and sort of cycle and forge, and have extended shifts and, uh, allow the top line to come out in more advantageous situations potentially and not be uh, so easily hard matched against that. That's an interesting wrinkle to this because as you, as you've been, uh, you know, highlighting ever since the said the trade, I think we were both uh, big time believers in, in, in the regard of, Taylor Hall is still good and he was misused and he's going to do very well in this new environment. Uh, In the regular season, that line in 180 minutes, the shots were 121 to 60 for them and the high danger attempts were 41 to 20. And I think it was fair to wonder how much of that was playing a ton against Buffalo and New Jersey and how it would look against better competition. And in round one against Washington in 62 minutes, the shots were 35, 25 with them on the ice and the high danger attempts were 18 to seven. And so they carried over that success and if they can do so again, it could be a real leg up for Boston because we know over the years it's been, all right, well, if you shut down that top line or play them to as much of a draw as you can, you're going to be okay. And if this second line can get out there and keep the ice tilted in that regard, then it's going to be a long series for the Islanders.
0: Yeah. I think there's kind of no winning for the Islanders defensively when it comes to matching up against the creation hall line, just because, uh, the uh, like one of the Islanders biggest strengths, especially kind of when they get their stuff together in the playoffs is defending against the rush uh, because they are so kind of strong defending that blue line. Like they just stack guys there. They force you to either just skate into a defenseman and give up a counter attack chance, uh, or you just have to dump it in, recover it. And uh, you know, a a lot of the time that's a a 50, 50 battle at best. Uh, But with especially that kind of Krejci Hall Smith line, that that line is is so good at both of those things. You know, we've seen their rush game totally open up uh, since the trade deadline, just because obviously we know that Hall uh, can enter the zone with speed and, and attack off the rush, and, and he's done that. You know, I think he had like the five mo- five most or fifth most rush attempts uh, after the trade deadline uh, in his time with the Bruins. Uh, but we saw it from Krejci as well, where he's not a guy that we kind of envision as being you know particularly speedy. Uh, but having Hall on that unit with them really opened up the ways that they were able to attack. Uh, And, you know, so, so they're able to do that and we might be able to see them break things up with the Islanders uh, by entering the zone speed. But, but if they can't, they're just as good at forechecking, you know, uh, Craig Smith, obviously we know what he can do. We know that that's kind of his entire game is, is, using his skating uh, to, to get to areas and, and retrieve pucks and get them to people or get them on net. And Taylor Hall, you know, his most underrated skill set is puck retrieval. You know, he is a really great forechecker, and that's one of the big reasons why people who were kind of, you know, criticizing his game as not being playoff ready uh, based on just kind of superficial things and, and probably a lot of it just him being unfortunate enough to play for some bad teams. You know, he plays a style that I think could actually – be very successful against the Islanders if he really gets into that that forechecking mode so I I'm really interested to see you know like you said they're going to be out there against Letty and, and Mayfield that's a matchup that they really should win so uh that could be kind of a big x-factor for the Bruins if they can get that second line going then I, I have a hard time seeing them losing this series you know save for for Jari level goaltending nightmares
1: Well, you know, from the Islanders' perspective here, I guess the craziest stat is now that you mentioned it, Jared having what negative eight goals saved or something in the six games. But, you know, from the more like just viewing it from the prism of the Islanders and sort of the fact that they got through that series, considering that they got zero goals, three assists, and only one five on five point from Barzell in those six games is pretty remarkable. Now, he did have some spirited rushes. And I think he will eventually break through if he keeps playing the way he has, because he's so dangerous, but it's remarkable. You'd think that he would have had an ex- like an explosive offensive series, especially with what Jari was giving up. And that wasn't the case. And the other stat that I noticed was, you know, the Islanders trade trailed for nearly 60% of that series. I think they led for only 65 or so minutes through those six games. And they're a team that's designed to get an early lead keep getting the puck deep, just check the crap out of it, just break everything down in the neutral zone, not allow you to come in with any any sort of a rush and just really grind the game out and punish you for any mistakes you make by coming back on, on the counter-attack and, and scoring off the rush. And so the fact that they came through that series and wanted 4-2, despite the fact that they weren't really able to play that way at all and didn't get anything of note from their top offensive player is pretty remarkable to me. And so, um, you know, we'll see what happens in this series, but at least like you, you would think that Barzal would be due for a little bit more offense considering how talented he is.
0: Yeah. And I guess it would be karma for the Bruins to get, uh, to get lit up by <laughs> Barzal. So
1: no, no one will tweet about that. I'm sure there will be no jokes of the such. Definitely um, not. the, I guess the the other thing that I did want to note was, I think, especially in that Penguins Islanders series, it was fair to say that the Islanders were going to have the goaltending advantage uh, because of the personnel. I think most people would have thought it would have been the goalie that was fifth in goal saved and second in save percentage in the regular season. But Vralomov was banged up and then he struggled and Sorokin basically took the crease from him and didn't give it back. And it's rare to say about a goalie because their whole job is to prevent fun, essentially. But Sorokin is one of the few goalies that's legitimately fun to watch in that. Maybe, maybe not for you as a Penguins fan, but just his ability uh, in terms of the athleticism, in terms of his ability to to kick out the pad in, in just remarkable time and make these wild saves. I'd been waiting years uh, for him to come to the NHL, and I was really curious to see how he'd play in this system, and they really eased him in this season. Uh, He struggled uh, right out of the gate with rebound control and whatnot, but uh, really rounded into form here, and and he is an X factor in this series. I I know we don't want to talk too much about goaltending because it's so unpredictable, but it feels like considering how talented he is and considering that he's playing for a Barry Trotz team with Mitch Corton as his goalie coach, uh, if there was one thing we could say that was predictable about a goalie, it would be that he could be really, really good in this series again.
0: Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to enjoying watching him play for the first time in this series. (laughs)
1: Um, All right. Is there anything else in this matchup that that, that we wanted to highlight or talk about? Like, I feel like for the most part, people are generally pretty aware of the way these two teams play and sort of what to expect from them. And so I don't think there's anything too much more for us to highlight in terms of like, ooh, you should actually check this out because it's different than what you might think.
0: Yeah, I think really the... The only really big surprise, you know, like you said, was, was the way that the offense had opened up since the deadline. And I I think that we covered that pretty comprehensively. So I, it'll definitely be an interesting series to watch, especially, I think that it has the potential to be an actually exciting, low scoring series. Uh, So, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to enjoy what this Islanders team can do without watching the game through my fingers for the first time. So it'll be interesting.
1: Well, and that's the thing. I, I do feel like the Islanders get get uh, an unfair shake. I think because you look at sometimes at the suppression numbers, and you look at um, you know the shot totals, for example, and you're like, oh, that that was boring. But especially in front of that home crowd, which is which is pretty wild, uh, there are sequences and there are moments where you know when they're creating off of those counter attack opportunities, they're a surprisingly good rush team. And and you know when they get desperate, they're like sending all three forwards like below the hash marks on the forecheck and just trying really really hard to get the puck back and and, and that sort of that type of aggression like is fun for me to watch maybe it's i'm a huge hockey nerd and, and the ge- general casual fan doesn't find that particularly exciting but i do think there is a sense of urgency that they play with that is legitimately um you know a positive in terms of the viewing experience and it's not they're not nearly as boring as uh, as people might lead
0: you to believe. Yeah that, that rush that rush thing is is definitely a good observation. Uh, like th- that really is kind of a focal point of how they generate offense, and I think that that surprises a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, it certainly was a huge factor in that penguin series where so many of their, their chances were coming off counterattacks just because the penguins had the puck in their end and were generating shots for so much of it. And then you turn around and it seemed like they had a three on two or, you know, a three on three with momentum uh, pretty frequently. And, you know, a lot of the time they don't necessarily have the skill to to do that much with it. Uh, obviously, you know, they ran into a goalie where they could basically take shots from the hash marks and it was a 50, 50 chance to go in, but Uh, Yeah, I I think that's definitely an interesting point. And the Bruins have been a little bit weak defending the rush this year. So uh, uh, that could definitely be a a factor in the series that could make things more exciting for the Islanders and and actually maybe tilt the scales in their favor if they do end up kind of getting out possessed. Like, I think it's fair to expect that they might.
1: All right, man. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think all three of these are going to be very uh, exciting and, and very close. And we're not going to talk about the North one because we are recording this on a Saturday morning and we still don't know who the Jets will be playing. Uh, you know, the Leafs and, and Habs play their game six uh tonight. And so instead, what I'm gonna do is is we're just gonna cap it at these three. And then I'm going to uh do a full full series, a full episode about um the North Division round two matchup once it gets started next week. So I promise the listeners we'll get to it eventually, although I'm sure there's no shortage of Leafs coverage elsewhere that you can get. So uh they're not too starved for it. But this was a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. Do you want to um plug some stuff where can people check you out uh both on Twitter and in terms of your work and, and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, so uh, obviously my the main place that I'm writing right now is uh, Elite Prospects, uh, which I, I would imagine that a lot of your listeners are probably already subscribed to, but if they're not, better I, be. I, I would hope so. But I definitely recommend that they uh, that they check it out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JFreshHockey. Uh, you can find all of my data visualizations and stuff available on my Patreon uh, under the same name. And uh, I still occasionally will write some stuff on my uh substack account which is also under the name jfresh.substack.com so if you uh if you like what you hear definitely make sure to check that out
1: all right man well this is a blast i'm glad we got to do this uh, it was good to finally have you officially on the show we had recorded a show earlier this season and because of audio difficulties we weren't able to run it so it was good to finally do this uh keep up the good work i've been enjoying working with you at ep ringside and uh, everyone please enjoy the the round two of the playoffs. It's going to be awesome. And we'll uh, we'll be back with another show here soon. So uh, we'll have you back on, man. Uh, But until then take care and I enjoy the playoffs.
0: Great. You too.
1: The hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.